0: Watch the countdown clock made it, no, you know, no insult there or anything. I don't know what's going on with my mic, I'm going to trust you guys to fix it and I'm just going to keep going. Sorry, I'm, I'm sweaty. We had like a little uh, semi-electrical emergency there for a second and uh, I had to run and I don't run that much. Um, it's just not something I enjoy doing and it's not something I do very well and so it sounds kind of like a, a horse galloping with, with a broken leg still. So <clears throat> anyway. But we're here. We're here. And if you want more details about my gallop, you you let me know. I'll be glad to share that with you. But anyway, needless to say, I'm not a great runner. It does feel like it's been a month since last Sunday for some reason. I don't know what it is. I don't know if anybody else had a really long week. It wasn't a bad week. It just seemed like it was, you know, 28 days instead of seven. Um, So it's just, it's good. Like I've been looking forward to today, just to be able to sit, to be able to worship, to be able to, to share And uh, so I'm super glad that you guys came this morning. And I'm also glad that this side of the room got full, because generally people are afraid of this side. So if you're sitting over there, you're like, I want to see what it feels like next week. Get here on time, and and you can. You know, it's amazing what happens when you're somewhere on time, because five minutes early is five minutes late, so ten minutes early is right on time. So I'm just saying, that's the way we roll. If you haven't learned that lesson, you should. It's called adulting. And uh, so today, man, I'm being really insulting right out of the gate. That's not my intent. (laughs) You know, short guys have a lot of soapboxes, and that's just mine for the day. Um, But I'm sure we'll find another one here in just a minute. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to John chapter 13. It's also dangerous when I say stuff that's not in my notes. You just never know what's going to be there. And unfortunately, I don't make a lot of notes. We're still in our kind of our who we are identity series. Um, The past couple of weeks we just kind of have been tackling just just exactly this. We like to do this every year or year and a half. We like to remind those who have been a part of Origins for a while like who we are and why we exist and and how we we intend to keep it simple and strategic for what God wants us to do. But we also understand too that in the past six months uh, a lot of you have just started attending our, our worship gatherings and have just jumped into community groups and are just figuring this stuff out. So if you did not get to come to Origins 101, uh, this is kind of a, an introduction for you, too. But I will say this, even if you're visiting today, or if you've been visiting for the past few weeks, or you've been our guest and you don't intend to stick around here, maybe you're not even from here, like, this is equally applicable to, like, all believers. Because, like I said, we didn't make any of this up. This is directly from Scripture, and it's, it's part of our identity because of that. And, uh, again, our goal as a church that wants to be strategic to make sure that every man, woman, and child in this city has repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel One of our ways of doing that is we just want to keep things simple and biblical. Like, we're never going to have a super full calendar. Uh, we want to equip you to be missional where you live, missional where you work, uh, all of those types of things. And as we gather together as a corporate church, make sure that we're looking at the mission of downtown, like 29601 and the zip codes that touch it. And so we just want to make sure that we are equipped and ready uh, to go out and live out this mission. But sometimes we need to know what that mission is. And so the past couple of weeks, we started just by talking about our mission statement is making disciples who love God, love one another, love the city. And we talked about, you know, if we're going to make disciples, we need to know what those are. And so if you missed that, go back and listen. And we just kind of gave our working definition of this is a disciple. This is what we are trying to reproduce. This is what we need to be as a result of Christ. And then last week, we talked about one of those first defining characteristics of what we're doing, or identifiers, is we just we want to love God simply, concisely, uh, intentionally, and, you know, like volitionally too, like we want to seek to love God. Unfortunately, that one did not record, so you can't go back and listen to that, but I'll be glad to meet you for coffee and tell you the same, same thing, or at least what I can remember from my very sparse notes, um, and just tell you all about that. But today, we're kind of in that other part of making disciples who love God and love one another. Last part's love the city. We'll talk about that next week, but today it's just the love one another idea. And so for us, we, we do, we want to make sure that anything we say, that who we are and what we're after, like, it has to be based in Scripture. And so today we're going to turn to John chapter 13, and this is where it's going to come from. But I will go ahead and give you a warning. Like, this, this particular text is, is challenging in a couple of ways. Number one... It's thick. I mean, it's like overnight oats with a little, not, not quite enough water thick. Like, I've talked about that. Like, you know, you stick a spoon in it, it's going to stand up. It's that kind of thick. And so I'm going to do my best to, to give you as much information as we need as we go, but we are going to be thinking about this idea of, like, how does this relate to us loving one another? So don't, don't get ahead of me. Um, just, just hold on, pump the brakes, and we'll get there. So let's pray, um, and we're going to we'll jump right in. God, I love you. I thank you that I'm out of breath this morning. I thank you that we've, we've had to do a lot, but, God, it's, it's working. God, thank you that uh, we get to sit, we get to gather, um, and just, just to hear from you and to, to read your word and to understand that it's faithful to make us look more like Christ and to make us also look more like the church you desire us to be. God, this morning I pray that we do see the mission that rests in here, we see the identity that rests in here, and we see the direction that you give us as well. Thank you so much uh, for the fact that Jesus was very... Um, multitasking at so many points. Uh, and God, thank you that he was so intentional. God, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So we're going to read chapter thirteen, one through 17. Um, and then there's a little tag-in section that we'll, we'll talk about, and then we'll skip ahead a little bit to verse 31. So to give you a little bit of insight, again, uh, context is everything. Uh, this is kind of Uh, The point in which Jesus is in this Passion Week, we were there last week as well, but at this point, he's kind of sitting with the disciples. And he's, he's sitting in the upper room. Most likely this particular text is before the Passover meal that we talked about when we looked in the book of Mark uh, several months ago. Uh, it's, it's sometime maybe an hour, maybe a day. We don't really know. John is not so much chronological in the way that he writes as he is uh, content-driven. And so the content here is he's talking about the conversations that Jesus had with the disciples during this last week. And he kind of puts them all together. And this was one of those, one of those main ones. Uh, but not only a conversation was had here, but more, more importantly, it was the demonstration that preceded the conversation. And so when we're reading and looking at the actions of Jesus, I think there's a couple things we need to start with before we even dig in. Number one, Jesus did come to be the price, like he did. He came to be the sacrificial lamb that none of us could be, but we all needed. Um, like he had to do that. Uh, He had to do that so that God could make a way for us because we were out of reach due to sin and God was completely out of reach for us. And so what God did is He made the way. The way that He made was God with skin on His Son came, lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death and rose victoriously from the grave. And so He conquered all the things that we could not. So He had to do that. Now, Granted, it wasn't based on our merit, it wasn't based on our worth, because in all reality, we have no merit, we have no worth, by comparison to a holy, holy, holy God, like we don't. But God's grace and God's mercy declared that Jesus would come, and so Jesus did. So he came to be that price, but also, not just the price, but Jesus also came to show us what a a victorious, triumphant example could live like. He came to show us what uh, new Adam, new Eve could be in light of grace and mercy, the victory that's granted through the cross, the access to God that is sealed through the Holy Spirit. Jesus came to show us what that could possibly look like. And of all the things Jesus did, it's important for us to note and understand we can do every one of those things through the equipping and the empowering of the Holy Spirit except die for the sins of all mankind. But everything else, we're completely and totally empowered to do through the Holy Spirit. Now, do we accept that? Do we embrace that? Most of the times, probably not, because that's a little scary. And then if we grew up in the BOBC, which I said I need to stop saying, um, maybe we're afraid of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit's real. He's alive. And Jesus said, when I leave, you will do works better than I, greater than I, bigger than I, because the Holy Spirit, the helper, he's going to come, and he's going to indwell you. But all of that access and all of that authority was given just because Jesus came. He lived, he died, he rose and then he said, all power has been given to me. Now I'm telling you, go, therefore, make disciples. And so he came to be the price, but he also came to be the example. So today, we're going to see both of those things on display. So we're starting chapter 13, verse 1. It says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. I will go ahead and tell you this. There are two images of Jesus that I can't get away from in Scripture. Other than the cross. Like, the cross is, like, it's, it's seared. But there's two other images in Scripture, in the Gospels, that I, man, I, I cannot, I can't get away from them. One was the Garden of Gethsemane when he fell, like, face down. Father, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. There was that. But then this is the other one. Like, this one I think as an infant believer, and if you're an infant believer, that's okay. Like We celebrate the fact that you've gone from death to life, and you're an infant. You still have a lot to figure out. That's great. That's, that's celebration worthy. Um, but as an infant believer, this might not, this might not kick you the way it kicks some of us who have been following Jesus for a while. Not that we're perfect. Not that we've made it. Uh, we definitely have not. But it might not hit you the same way. But I will tell you, if we're reading it well and if we're thinking about it well, it should hit us kind of hard. Like the image of what we're about to see, like it's just, I mean, it's heavy. I mean, it's really, really heavy. So let me start again in verse 4. He rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, wiped them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He said to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but it is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garments and resumed his place. And he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? Between here and the next text that we're going to read, there was more exchange about Judas, um, who was going to betray him. Jesus knew that he was. It was to fulfill a plan. It was all there. Uh, we're not going to get into that today. We will cover it at a later date. But that's the chunk there. And then we skip down to verse 34. In verse 34, we need to understand, is in light of everything that the disciples had just seen. Okay? It wasn't a separate conversation. It was still the same conversation. And in verse 34, he says, a new commandment I give to you. That you are to love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In Scripture, we have love that is directed mainly in, in kind of three places as it deals with people or as it deals with entities, so to speak. Uh, we have love for God, which we talked about last week, uh, we have the Shema Yisrael, the hear, O Israel. Uh, The Lord your God is one. Love him with everything that you have. It's not so much about the parts, but it's about the inclusiveness of all of them. And then we have love your neighbor as yourself, and we're going to talk about that next week. But then we have the love one another's, The love God, completely understandable. We get that. We may not be able to live it out all the time, and we may not be able to to fully understand what it means to love God in our totality. We fall short. We repent. We confess. We ask God to bring us through, show us what that looks like. The love thy neighbor is those who are outside of the family, those called according to God's purpose, saved by grace through faith. Those are the neighbors. Uh, But this, this one another thing, the one another is very specific, and it's very unique. Because the one another is like this. It's inclusive for those who have been called, those who have been redeemed, those who are known by the name of Jesus now. Ecclesia, the church, the family of God, these are the one another's. These are the one another's. And this is what we mean when we say, love God, vertical, love one another. It is horizontal, but it's contained. And it's a very unique relationship. Same dad, same Savior, same Spirit, by proxy, same mission. Love one another. And in this particular place, I I do believe that Jesus knew the disciples wouldn't fully understand what he was going to say if maybe he just went to verse 34. Now, he wouldn't have said verse 34, but he would have just had a conversation. But if he would have gone directly there without doing what preceded it, maybe they wouldn't have understood. And I even think, according to what Scripture says, they didn't understand it right away, but he says, you don't understand now, but you will. And so this is what happens. So they're in the upper room, they've already had their meal, um, and it was customary uh, to wash people's feet if they were your guest. Most of the time you would do it at the beginning of a meal, you would do it when people came in, because you know, they, they walked around in, in you know, less than Birkenstocks, and you walked everywhere, and your feet, they were dirty. And so you washed them, number one, because they were dirty, but you washed them, number two, symbolically to say, I'm here to serve you, I want to welcome you. Thank you for being in my home. Now, this wasn't Jesus' house. They borrowed, they borrowed this space to eat there, to do the to do the Passover, the new Passover, which we talked about several months ago. They borrowed the space, it wasn't there, but still, there were a lot of there were about 13 people in that room at this point that we know of. There could have been some people on the periphery, but well, we don't know for sure. But we know that there were 13, Jesus plus the twelve. And so they had already had a meal. They had already eaten. Nobody's feet got washed. And so it says, after they ate, it says that Jesus stands up and He takes off his outer garments. Now, garments being plural, there's the idea that he didn't just take off his robe. No, he stripped down to basically his underwear or his loincloth because that's what a servant would do. That's what a servant would do. Right around this same time, there was already an argument that, that came up with the disciples about who's the greatest. Who's the greatest? Any one of those 12 could have washed feet. Any one of those 12 could have washed feet, but their pride dictated that they not dare move. Because if they did, they would be willingly placing themselves below the other 11 and taking on the form of a servant. This is the part that gets me. (laughs) Of all the people in the room, it was Jesus who knelt. Of all the people in the room, The one to take on the form, the actions, the attitude, and the posture of a servant. It was Jesus. That should hit really hard. Understand the claims that had already been made by Christ. By his words, he was the I Am. He was God. He was the Son of God. He was the messenger of God. He was the Messiah that had been waited for for hundreds of years. And of all the people in the room, he's the one that stripped down, wrapped a towel around his waist and began to wash feet. It's crazy. So he begins to go around and wash feet and, and at that time they didn't sit in chairs, they reclined, they kind of sat on their right side, their feet were behind them and I guarantee their feet, they were dirty <laughs> and the way that it would work is you would carry a, a bowl of water around and you would kind of put the feet above the bowl and, and either take a sponge or your hand and kind of scoop water over their feet, rub their feet, wash them and then the towel that he wore would, would reach to the ground and he would pull up a section of it and, and dry the feet after he had washed them. A dirty job. Kind of Mike esque kind of a thing. That was a great show has nothing to do with this so I'm gonna move on quickly so he just went one to the other to the other Jesus son of God according to John chapter 1 he was there in the beginning he was with God he was God there was nothing that was made that was not made through him and now he's stooping in the midst of a room of 12 broken men and he's the one washing feet one disciple to another and so finally it says, and he came to Simon, verse 6, came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Now when we read it, it's just like, Lord, do you wash my feet? But if we read the Greek, there's this, this interesting emphasis in different words that are used for, for you and my because it's kind of like, Lord, do you wash my feet? Do you wash my feet? At this point, Peter's probably speaking what everyone else is thinking, because everyone else, they're probably in their brain thinking, I can't believe Jesus right now. This Jesus, this this Messiah, this Master, the one that I chose to follow, be changed by, and be on mission with, he's he's washing my feet right now. They were probably embarrassed to death. But Peter, Peter's like, (laughs) no. Kind of the implication, the subtext is that, I should probably be washing your feet, but he couldn't get that out. You wash my feet? And Jesus answered him. He said, what I'm doing right now, you do not understand. But afterwards or after, you will. You will in a bit. And Peter said to him, you shall shall never wash my feet. Peter was emphatic in the things that he said throughout Scripture. I think a lot of people think that he was a hothead, but I think he just spoke his heart pretty quickly. And in this part, he was just like, no, 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 you're not going to do that. Mm -mm. Nope. And then Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, Peter, you have no share with me. So Jesus is being an example right now, and we're going to get to that in a minute. But before he gets to an example right now, like he is demonstrating the necessity of himself. He's showing what the gospel must look like, how the gospel must be understood, how he in flesh and in truth and in action needs to be accepted. Because, yeah, on one hand, it's just washing feet. But on another hand... It's like this humble act of service, Service, just undeniable, undeniable. And he just tells him, he's like, you don't understand this now, but I tell you that if you don't let me do this, you have no share with me. For us, we need to understand, and this is the, the gospel understanding that we need to have before we even get to the demonstrative part We have to grow to a place that we can allow Jesus to serve us. We have to grow to a place that we can allow Jesus to serve us. The problem is, my human nature declares, I don't need anybody. I can do it on my own. I can fix my problems. I got here. I can get out. I dug this hole. I'll climb out. The reality is we can't. The hole that's been dug by our sin, even one, we can't climb out of. We can't get out. It's that deep. It's a chasm that there is no ladder for. We have to let Jesus serve us. The one in the room that should have never had to stoop. The one in the room that should have never had to take on the form of a servant, yet he did. We have to let that Jesus serve us. And if we don't, we have no place with him. Because we can't earn it, we can't fabricate it, we can't make it happen on our own. Jesus has to do it, just Jesus. And even after we come to Christ, we still revert revert back. You know, like we talked about when, when He called the disciples to come follow me, they followed I will make you, he transformed, and and then I'll make you fishers of men. I'll put you on mission with me. Even we see when Peter sinned and when Peter was in the midst of his struggle, what did he do? He went back to the way that he was. He went back to fishing. And Jesus called him again out of the boat and restored him on the beach like we see that. Uh, The same way is true for us, like even during our confession when we say, Jesus, I need you to fix what I cannot, my sin, the debt that I have racked up, I am trusting you to fix that by grace through faith, removing me from this world, placing me in your kingdom, you and only you can do that. We confess that, we admit that, but at some point when life gets hard, when things get difficult, we go back to our former self and we start trying to fix it again. And we forget that we can't. It's not in me. It's not in you, but it is entirely in Jesus. He says, if you don't let me do this, Peter, you have no place with me. We are not in union together unless you let me do this. I sometimes believe that humility can be confusing because I think what we believe humility to be uh, in respect to others is placing ourselves beneath others, and that's entirely true. That's entirely true. But there's also this idea of humility that says, I will stop trying to fix myself and I will allow someone else to serve me. I will stop trying to fix myself and I will allow someone else to serve me. This is the humility that Jesus desires and requires in us. Because again, we can't fix our mess. We can't fix it. We can't undo it. Only he can. Peter, if you don't let me do this, you have no place with me. No place with me. Peter said to him, "You shall never wash my feet." Jesus said, "If I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me." Verse nine. Simon Peter said to him, "Lord, not my feet only, but also my, heads and my, my hands and my head." Jesus said to him, "The one who has been bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you." Now, this particular text vexed me for a long time. Just, I was like, I, I don't, I don't understand. What do you mean? So he went from salvation. Unless I wash your feet, you have no place with me. You have no stead with me. There is no union with me. Uh, But then he's demonstrating what the gospel looks like there. But then he takes it a step further and he's going to demonstrate what sanctification looks like. So, one is justification, our big theoretical, I mean, theological words like justified. In order to be justified to God, we have to allow Jesus to die in our place. We have to trust in his life, his death, his resurrection to make us right with God. If we don't do that, we have no place with him. But then, even after we choose Jesus, even after we've given ourselves over to him, uh, even after all of those things, there's still this thing that we have to daily do, and it is our active part of sanctification, and that is allowing our feet to be washed. Our whole self has already been cleansed by the blood of Christ. He said, those of you who have bathed, you don't need your hands and your head washed like you're already taken care of, but your feet, your feet need to be cleaned. And so in our day-to-day progression, even though we've been redeemed, we still encounter sin all the time. Hallelujah! What was that? We still we still encounter sin, um, and so in this particular place, he's saying, "Okay, but you still need to take care of the feet, and I still need to do that for you." And the way that that works for us is when sin occurs, we go to Jesus, and just in the same way in which he redeemed us once and for all, he cleanses us of those circumstantial sins that come in our life and hinder our relationship with him. He says, "Your head, your hands, you're clean. You've already been washed. You're good. Your feet, though." This day-to-day sin, this life-to-life struggle, it still needs to be addressed. First John 1, 9 says if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Those are our feet. Those are our feet. And that still needs to be addressed because we walk around day to day, to stretch this metaphor out as long as I can, we walk around day to day and we step in muck after muck after muck and our feet get dirty, our life gets dirty, our relationship with God gets hindered by the junk that we step in and it must be addressed because sin is real, sin is serious, sin interacts and affects us. And so again, we confess, we repent, we let God restore through Jesus and only Jesus. So he said, here's the nature of the gospel unless you let me serve you, unless you let me clean you, you have no stead with me. But even after I clean you entirely and thoroughly and eternally, you still need to come to me and deal with your sin. Let me wash your feet. Gospel. Pretty crazy. So it goes through all that. And that's the truth that I wanted to get through before we get to, to the who we are kind of idea of love one another. But it all it all plays in. And then verse 11, he said, for he knew that one was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. Verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his hour garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If then I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is never greater than the master, nor is a messenger greater than one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you who do them. And then we skip ahead. All of this in mind when he says a new commandment that I give to you. This is fresh on their mind. They've just watched it. They've just witnessed it. Peter was the only one to speak up. Verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you are to love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another so they just watched something crazy like they just <laughs> they just watched this Jesus who they had left everything for Um, they had chosen to follow and leave all their stuff, leave all their people, leave all their things in pursuit of him. They had been taught by him. They had been rebuked by him. They had been released by him. They had been restored by him. They had had all of these things occur. And now Jesus is in the middle of this room where they're supposed to have the Passover meal and celebrate the fact that Jesus passed over the people of Israel. They weren't exactly sure what was going on, and their minds are just probably just soaking wet with sweat. If your brain can sweat, theirs were sweating. And they're like, we don't know how to take this. And then he draws this beautiful conclusion. Number one, he says, do you understand what I've just done for you? Do you understand? He said, what you've just seen me do, you need to do for one another. You need to do. And I'm sure they were thinking, you you want us to wash each other's feet? That's nasty. He wasn't just talking about washing one another's feet. But he was. But he wasn't. He said, what you've just seen me do, I want you to do. And he said, understand, understand, A couple of things in here are really, really interesting. First, in verse 14, he said, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. The same idea. Of all the people in the room, of all the people in the room that would strip down to the the dress and the garb of a servant, it was Jesus who did it. The one who didn't shouldn't have to, but he did, because he knew he was the only one that could because pride was hampering the rest of the 12 right now, they dare not stoop to that level to say, I am less than you. I'll wash your feet, John. I'll wash your feet, Thomas. I'll wash your feet. No, they they wouldn't dare do that because that would be their confession that you're better than me. Sin was still in their camp. It was still inhabiting them. They still needed their feet washed. But Jesus, he said, do you understand what I've just done for you? Have you seen what I've done? Understand, I'm your teacher and I'm your rabbi and you call me capital L Lord and you're exactly right. If I can do it, So should you. Because a servant is never greater than his master. messenger is never greater than the one who sent him. I'll point this out to start. We will never outgrow our identity as servants. Hear me. This is vital because the church has screwed this up. We've royally wrecked it. Regardless of your title, regardless of your position, regardless of how long you have served the Capital C Church, in in your effort to honor the Lord, we will never outgrow the title of servant. Ever. Ever. We are never beyond scrubbing floors. We are never beyond pushing a broom. We are never beyond changing a tire. We are never beyond washing feet. We are never, ever beyond the life of a servant. And Jesus just pointed it out. He was like, you call me teacher, you call me Lord. If I've done it, so should you. I'm not beyond it, you never will be either. But for some reason, we have the same attitude and the same posture that the disciples bore in this moment. Twelve men sitting in a room had been with Jesus, but there was no way that one of them would strip down and wrap a towel around their waist and wash their brother's feet. They wouldn't do it because the sin that was in them, the pride that declared that they were great, dared not let them. And Jesus said, if I can, you can. And not not just if I can, you can, but if I can, you should. We have screwed it up. Because we think more of ourselves than we do of one another. Can't be. We will never outgrow our identity as a servant. The day that we do is the day that we're in sin. Hear me. I'm saying it plainly. The day that we outgrow our identity as a servant is the day that we're in sin. So he says to them, do you understand what I've done for you? Do you get it? What I've done, you need to do. If I can do it, you most certainly can. You're never going to outgrow it. And then skip forward a little bit, he says, a new commandment that I give you. Not just that you wash one another's feet, but here's the bigger picture, that you love one another. And they're probably sitting there, they're like, that's not new. That's not new. We've, We've been hearing this since Leviticus. Here's the new part. Love one another as I have loved you. Just got real. Just got real, real. Like, love one another as I have loved you. They've just watched this man for a year, maybe two, do things that defied logic, defied sense. They watched God Himself stoop and crawl, not be exalted, quite the opposite, be ridiculed, be slandered. In just a few days, they would watch Him be put to death for their sin. And He said, I want you to love people like that. Not just people but the family. Love people as I've loved you. This is who we've been called to be. We've been called to love each other like Jesus loved you and Jesus loved me. And that list is long. The things that he did. The ways that he displayed it. I mean, short list. He left a place in which he was saying to you every day, and told that he was great, God, holy, revered. He left that. And he came and literally crawled for 30 some odd years. That's just the display. And he's not even doing it for us yet. I mean, that's just because he was obedient. Obedient even to the point of death, according to Philippians chapter 2. He did that. But then we, we watch him love through uh, simple meeting physical needs. We watch him love through teaching truth that we didn't understand. We watch him love by rebuking from sin. We watch him love um, by pushing people towards righteousness. Uh, We watch him love by trusting people with the responsibility. We watch him love uh, by enduring our ridiculous sin nature. We watch him love by dying for us on the cross. We watch him love by kicking death in the teeth and walking out of the grave. We watch him love by giving to us through his authority a mission that we don't deserve in salvation that we couldn't earn. He said, love people like that. And then he even told us an effect. He said, a new commandment I give you, that you are to love one another just as I have loved you. Not the way that you would desire, but the way that I've loved you. Love people like that. And then he said, and by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He's like, and it won't just affect you. He said, it will affect everyone that sees it because they'll see me, because what I'm asking you to do is not normal. It's not humanly. It's not man-made, and it's not, it's, it's just crazy to love people like that. He said, but that's what I'm asking you to do. That's what I'm telling you you need to do. That's what I'm commanding you to do. By the way, this wasn't a suggestion. He said, a new commandment I give to you. Not a recommendation, a commandment. I am telling you by the authority that's been given to me by God, I am the son, the spirit is coming to live in you. I am telling you to do it. And it's our choice to be obedient or not. But that's what we've been told to do. So what do we what do we do with all of this? I think the first the first thing before we even start about the the actions behind this or, or living out this commandment. I, I think we just have to start with exactly what we've talked about, like remember Jesus. Like we have to remember Jesus. Before we can even, even begin to start thinking about this and processing our way through this, we, we have to remember Jesus. Number one, um, he's the one that gives us access to this type of love. Like again, this is not naturally in me. This is not the way that I'm born. I am flawed by sin from my birth. I am unable to love like Jesus because I don't know him as a result of my sin that I'm born into. I can't choose that. Jesus has to draw me. I have to respond by grace through faith and allow him to radically change me, not just make me a better version of myself, but according to Corinthians, like, make me new. New. The old is gone, the new has come. Like, I have to live in that newness. One of those those parts of that newness is I am now able to love like Jesus. I have been equipped like this. So Jesus, by his life, by his death, by his resurrection, by grace through faith, we now have access to this type of love. We have to remember Jesus and understand we can't do this on our own. Okay, this is is not found in the self-help aisle in Barnes & Noble. Can't do it. Because we will fail miserably. Even with Jesus, we're going to fail miserably. To be honest. But... We're able to confess, we're able to repent, and we're able to go again. New mercies every day. Praise God. Remember Jesus. He's the one that gives us access to this type of love. But number two, he's also our example. Like if we're ever wondering, hey, what does this actually look like? What does this look like if we actually put feet on this kind of love? Well, it looks like Jesus. I'll just give it away. Like that's the, it, it looks like Jesus. Look at the way that Jesus lived his life in deference to other people, in reference to other people. Like this, this is the kind of love that we've been called to have. And that's the reason he said, A new commandment I give you. Love one another. He doesn't stop there, but love one another as I have loved you. That's how we're supposed to live. We remember that he's the one that gives us access, but he's also the one that's the example. He's the one that's already lived it out. He came to be the price. He came to be the example. We have to look to his example. And so that means, like, believe it or not, we, you, me, us's, we actually have to read the Bible to figure out who Jesus is. You can't just wait for Sundays to be told who he is. That means there's a responsibility placed on you to open and just read. If you've never done that, hey, Start in Mark. Great place. Start in Luke. Great place. Start in Matthew. Great place. Start in John. A little more difficult, but still a great place. If you've never done it, just start. If you want to know what it looked like for Jesus to love people, then look at the way that he loved people. Read about it. Learn it. Pay attention to it. Ask God to reveal things to you about it. Make notes about it. Just jump into it and figure it out. If you've been redeemed by Christ, the least thing that we can do is actually get to know this guy who redeemed us. Because we're not going to know him at the moment of our redemption, but we have an eternity to get to know him. And so it starts with that covenant relationship. So just, hey, get in there and and figure it out. Gone are the days of waiting for the church to tell you everything that you need to know. Those days should have never been here, but unfortunately they were here for hundreds of years. We're not there anymore. You have it in your native tongue. You can read. Read it. And if you have questions, ask them. You know, these discipleship groups, they're a great way to do that, believe it or not. Community groups, great way to do that, believe it or not. Uh, your, your elders, uh, your community group leaders, your pastors, your staff, all of those people, great people to ask. Ask a question. Look to Jesus. He gives us the access to this type of love. He's also our example. So what, is this, what does this look like? For us, like here here are the feet that are put on it as a result of looking to Jesus and as a result of us trying to live it out. I will tell you this from a missional stance from how Origins functions, the entryway to this is what we call community groups. The entryway to this is community groups. Uh, If we've been attending on Sundays for a while and you have not jumped into a community group, even though some of them may be full, don't care. There's always room for one or two more. We'll figure it out. We'll put you on the roof. We'll put you in the tub. doesn't matter. You can fit. We can't love people unless we know people. That seems kind of simple, but it's true. We can't love people unless we know people. That one of the very first things that we talk about when we talk about loving one another is just meeting those simple needs. We saw Jesus do it right after that he had sent the disciples out two by two. You know, they came back and they were jumping around. They were wanting to tell him all that, they, that they, they did and all that they saw, the demons that they exercised, the truth that they shared. And he said, let's get in a boat and let's go to a desolate place in the early parts of the book of Mark. And guess what happened? They got interrupted by a bunch of people who needed to eat, who needed to be taught. You know what Jesus did? He fed them and he taught them. And he healed them of their disease. One of the first ways that we see Jesus loving those who would be one another's is he just met needs as he could. And that's what Jesus did when he was healing, by the way. He was seeking restoration one person at a time, and what he could do is he could fix them of what ails them, he could send the demons that were in them out, he could point them toward truth, he could do all of those things, he was just meeting the needs that he could meet. Now us, on the other hand, yes, we may be empowered to do that, but day to day, there's a ton of needs that we can meet just just because they're there. And we don't have to wait, let let me tell you something that's radical, we don't have to wait for God to tell us to meet those needs, you know why? Because he's already told us to meet those needs. In this, love one another as I have loved you, we don't have to ask him, hey, there's a brother or sister in this, in this faith family, and they're struggling with X, Y, and Z. Hey, God, should I meet the need of X, Y, and Z? No, if you're capable, you already have the answer. Because we've already been told, love one another as I have loved you. When Jesus saw a need, he met the need. When we see a need, if we're capable of meeting the need, we meet the need. And if we struggle with that, then maybe we're struggling with some sin of holding on to some things way too tight. Maybe our time, maybe our resources, maybe our talents, maybe our giftings. Either way, if we see a need and we can meet a need, we've already been given permission to meet it. So meet those needs, whatever they may be. Not asking you to be on a team, not asking you to be on a committee, not even asking you to tell people that you've done it. We don't need to put it on Facebook, you don't need a gold star. And I know it sounds like I'm angry right now. I'm not. I'm just, I'm passionate. But number one, because I've seen this family do it, number one, like I've seen you do it and I've witnessed you do it and I've watched you do it without any desire of praise and then we find out and I'm like, "Mm, that's so awesome, I'd love to tell them that I know. But I can't tell them that I know because I'm not supposed to know, but I love it. If we see a need and we can meet a need, we meet the need because we've already been told we should. Maybe we meet physical needs. Here's the other thing that we see Jesus do that we get to do too. John 17, we see Jesus entering into this thing that's called the high priestly prayer. And you know what a lot of that revolved around? Just praying for those that God had been already given to him. He was just praying for his guys. Praying is not the least we can do. It's the best that we can do. Praying is not the least that we can do. And I get tired of hearing that. Hey, the least that I can do is pray for. No, no, no. Praying is the best that we can do. We're seeking to agree with God on His desires for people and then go after them in faith. That's what prayer is. We meet physical needs, yes, number one, but but probably number two, even above that, is we, we just pray for one another. We intercede for one another on their behalf. Maybe you don't have the physical means to meet a need, but you have the supernatural access to God who you can approach with boldness and understanding to pray on the behalf of that person that has a need, that God would take care of them. Now, granted... If we're praying for them to fix a need and we have the opportunity to meet that need and we're not doing it, uh, Scripture says something about that too. We're living in sin. Uh, but we're not, I'm not going to say that today. But see a need, we can meet the need, meet the need, but pray for the need. Pray for them. And maybe sometimes we even pray for people before they even have a need. We just, we just pray that God would take care of them. God would direct them. God would push them towards their identity in Him. Just intercede. That's exactly what Jesus was doing for His guys. He was just praying, uh, God, those who you've given me, protect them strengthen them, direct them. Maybe we just pray that for our brothers and our sisters. Hey, I'd love for you to pray that for me. I'll be honest. As your pastor, I will take those all day long. I will. And I'm, I'm not begging you, and I'm not directing you, but I'm just telling you, If anybody, I, I would love to have them. My wife, pray for my wife. I think the pastor's wife gets overlooked so often, and, it, and it's, it's horrible. But she carries a ton of weight even with one arm right now, a ton of weight, pray for my wife. I would, I would even ask you, pray for my wife before you pray for me. Pray for your community group leaders. Pray for the host of your community group. Uh, pray for those that you just met. Just spend time and just make a note. Do whatever you have to do to be intentional about it. Just, just write them down. Put them in your journal do whatever it is. Even if you've prayed for them for 13 weeks straight, pray for them again. It's okay. Again, for God to align our will with His for us to believe in what He wants so much that we ask Him for it and then we pursue it. Prayer. Maybe we pray for them. Another way that we love each other is we push each other towards Jesus. We see Jesus doing that. We, we see Him pushing others towards Himself. And maybe it looked like pulling, but he was. he was. He was pushing them towards Himself by teaching. One way that we get to do is just like... Um, just like the guy that Brandon Barrett, he came and he shared a couple weeks ago. He, he works for Mountain View Counseling. He says we all need counseling, but sometimes what counseling looks like is us just sitting across the table from a brother or a sister and them sharing what God has done in their life lately. This is the way we push each other towards Jesus. We share our lives with one another and what God's doing in our life. We start in Scripture. We reveal the truth that God is teaching us. We tell someone else so it's an encouragement and so maybe they can use it. And then we watch what God does with it. And then we follow that up with prayer, like we push each other towards Jesus. It's not complicated. It doesn't require a handbook or a playbook. Nope, it just requires relationship and God's truth and the spirit indwelling in both. Push each other towards Jesus. Another way that we love each other is we pull pull each other away from sin. And again, that can't happen unless we know each other because most of the time we keep our sin pretty close to the vest and nobody's going to see it. Unless we're intertwined in each other's lives, all up in each other's business, and that's okay. And we see a brother or sister struggling in sin, we love them enough to say, hey, this is not this is not right. I love you enough to not let you do this. What can I do? What can I do? Even in 101, if you were one of the people that were there last week, we said that we function on relationships and not rules. doesn't mean that we have this set list of rules and checklists, and you transgress one of those, you're out. No, it means that if you're transgressing one of these, we go and we sit down with you, brother to brother, sister to sister. So we say, we love you. We don't want you to do this because this is not God's desire, not God's intent. How can we help you get out of this? Do we need to have a conversation every day? Do I need to, do I need to come and visit you uh, during the day? What do I need to do? What do I need to do to pull you away from sin? Now, there's some stuff mixed in there. Number one, we have to be open with each other for this to occur. Okay, we can't lie to each other's face. No, I'm good. If somebody asks you how your life is, don't say I'm fine. Use real words, use that real adjectives. Tell each other. It's going pretty good. Man, it's going pretty bad. Uh, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. Um, I'm, I'm being a terrible husband. I'm being a terrible dad. Uh, I've looked at things I shouldn't look at. I've let my heart go places they shouldn't go. Hey, if somebody asks, tell them. That way they know what they need to do. Confess your sins one to another. Uh, man, it, it's, it's good for the soul. It brings about great power. Why? Because then we have access to actually do something about it. To agree with God, we don't want you living in sin. Let me help you. But it does go two ways we have to confess we have to be open but pull each other away from sin and then the last is this we spend s p e n d you're like Are you talking about money money's in there but so is time so is effort so is energy so is gifts so is money it's all there we spend we spend but if I put a parenthesis around all of these, I would, I would all call these, there's one thing that we have to do before we can do any of this. We have to willingly choose to be the servant in the room. We have to willingly choose to be the servant in the room. Whatever room we're in, we have to choose to be the servant. We have to choose to be the one that places ourselves below everyone else. So that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus didn't deserve to be born in a manger. <laughs> I mean, come on. He didn't deserve to be born in a pile of hay, in a cave. Like That's not Jesus. No, from the very get-go, he placed himself as the least in the room so that he could redeem the true least in the room. He said, love one another as I've loved you. For us to do any of that, we have to adopt his posture before we adopt his actions. We have to adopt his posture before we adopt his actions and his posture was that as a servant wherever he went wherever he went can we do that can you walk into a room and be the servant or is your pride telling you you can't if that's the if that's if that's the the answer if your pride is telling you that you can't let me let me just go ahead and tell you here's what you do God, my pride is preventing me from serving you. I want to confess that to you. I want you to forgive me of that, and I want you to restore me to where you want me to be. There's the answer. And then we trust that he will, and we work towards learning what it means to be a servant. It starts with looking at Jesus, remembering that he gave us the access, he showed us how, and then we just start to live it out. If we can meet a need, we meet a need. Whatever that need may be. If we can meet it, we meet it. If we can't meet it, find someone else in the family that can. That's entirely okay. Day by day, attending temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. To the latter part of Acts chapter 2. God added to their number day by day those who were being saved, not because of their amazing words, not because of their unbelievable sermons. God used all those things, but he added to their number day by day those who were being saved because of the way they loved each other. The way they loved each other. The world outside of the church looked in and saw it, and they are like, man, that's crazy. Why are they doing that? Why are they doing that? Because they understood that their family was different now. The direction of their love had changed. The intent of their love had changed. And the model that showed them how had changed. It was Jesus. And as a result, their best apologetic became not just their words, but how they loved each other. It pointed people to Jesus. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, that you follow me. God, we love you. I love you. I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that Jesus came to be the price that I couldn't pay. He came to be the example that I so desperately needed when wanting to know what it looks like uh, to follow you, to love you, to be yours. And what it looks like to love your people. God, I pray that as a a church family, as a people, they're not defined by a structure, who are not defined by a building, who are not defined by an event, but they're just defined by the redeeming work of Jesus. God, I pray that you would renew in us a desire to love each other well, and not just well, but love each other like Jesus loves us. And God, as a result of that love, you would strengthen us You would renew us, you would sanctify us, but you would draw men and women to yourself as they see it and think it's crazy. Your kingdom would grow here in Greenville as a result of the way that we love each other and the words that we get to share next. God, as we spend the next little while in communion, I pray that we do, just like one of the points, we remember Jesus. We remember his life his words, his death, and his resurrection. We think of him, and we also celebrate the fact that he's coming back to make all things right, to fix all the broken stuff that we deal with day to day, the stuff that gets our feet dirty. God, I pray that we we remember and we look forward. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his life. Thank you for his words, his death, and his resurrection, and thank you for him making us right with you. It's in his name we pray. So for the next little while, as we have one more song, we have an open table for communion. If you haven't been with us before and and taken communion with us, that means...